Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. You are watching Believe. We are a conscious media company bringing you guys stories revolving around money and business, health and wellness, true success, our universe, and world news. You can find us on believe.love, that's our website, as well as youtube.com forward slash believe loves you. I'm Vanessa, and we're going to jump into a great uh, show here today. Under money and business, um, we're going to be talking today, entrepreneurs, we're going to be talking about these eight lessons that you wouldn't want to learn the hard way. So when you're first running a company or you just start out and you're just starting to kind of get your feet in the water and really figuring things out, there are so many things to keep track of, right? There are so many things that you have to do to kind of get things started before you even really start. You know, you need to make sure, you know, that there's actually a market or an audience for what it is that you're offering. You want to make sure, you know, or figure out hiring the best staff, you know, um, the most, most efficient for you, as well as communicating what it is that you're going to be doing for your customers and what it is that you're go what your company is all about. There's so many things to consider and so many things to do, so many lessons to learn. And um, members of the YEC, the Young Entrepreneur Council, they have been surveyed and polled and, and asked so many, so many questions. And um, they explained, you know, a few places where they kind of misstepped along the journey. And what it is that they've learned from their mistakes and how they would love to pass that information on. I'm always looking into um, similar organizations like that, as well as just trying to get all the feedback that I can from anyone that's willing to give it to me. So we're going to go over those eight lessons. One is to really, truly listen to what others tell you. Truly listen. Um, entrepreneurs, we can be very stubborn. We can be very stubborn people because we're, we're innovative and we, we think outside of the box and we're independent and we have all these amazing ideas. We're young. We're most likely millennials, right? So you really can't tell us like anything. We, we think that we, we know what we're doing already before we've actually even done it. And so sometimes, you know, we really need to learn when is the best time to just shut up and listen? When is the best time to just take in information that others are trying to, to pass along? And when we really need to be receptive to that. So if there's someone else that's kind of, you know, done what it is that you are planning to do, then it really is your responsibility to take knowledge from them, take information from them, take whatever feedback that they have to offer you because they've been there. You know, they have the experience that you don't have. And they can most likely catch little things that you might miss because they've already been through it. So you really shouldn't let your pride um, stand in your way of your own success. So truly, truly open your ears. I mean, this goes back to like that, that, that saying or that, that understanding that we have, you know, two ears and one mouth for a reason. And it's because we're supposed to listen. We're supposed to listen more and, and talk less. <laughs> Number two is don't get talked into things, no matter what the reason is. Really, really stick with your gut. Stick with your intuition. Stick with what it is that you already know, what it is that already has been working out for you or working in your favor. <clears throat> you know, you don't want to allow others to derail you and to bring you into their own perception or their own, you know, view of what success is. You really want to stick to what it is that you know because. You're an entrepreneur. Maybe you're even an inventor 
And so it's possible that you're doing things that no one else has done. So you can't possibly get any information from someone else that hasn't done it, right? That maybe you have a few steps closer to doing it, so you probably would have more information revolving it. It doesn't matter how good of intentions that these people may have for you. They may be really, truly trying to help. But if it's not your vision, if it's not you, if it's not something that you care for, then sometimes it's just not worth it. And you want to stick with your intuition on that. You really do want to stick with your gut on that. If something is just truly telling you, like, no, this is not for me, then that's fine. Move on with it and move on to something that is for you. But truly, don't get sucked into things because you're only going to end up regretting it in the end. You're only going to hurt yourself in the end. Truly, truly trust yourself and trust what you want. Number three is to pay for your talent. I think this is a huge one. And it's a huge one for young um, entrepreneurs, business starters, because we're probably starting on a budget, right? We probably have very limited resources, very limited, you know, a very limited budget. So our first instinct is to try to get as much as we can for as little as we can. And I feel like so many people, so many starter companies, so many um, entrepreneurs that I know, um, CEOs and so many people will just tell you how much that hurts you in the long run. It is. It's just going to hurt you. You might as well. You truly just might as well actually get the the person that's experienced, get the professional that knows what they're doing, that's going to get in there and it's going to actually get those things done without you having to worry about kind of like micromanaging or stepping over their shoulder, figuring out what it is that they're doing, having to, you know, train them in different kind of areas or aspects. If you're already paying for your talent, then you're already taking care of, you know, part of your, it's, a, it's your baby. It's, a, it's your business that you want to see succeed. So why would you put, you know, people that don't have much information about, you know, your business in those positions? Why would you have them fill those seats? You know, it, it's true. I mean, it goes back to another saying, you get what you pay for. You do. Of course, it is ideal. It's ideal to want to get more than um, what you actually pay for. That's ideal in a business. But that way of thinking can definitely hurt you. It can. So you should hire up, like I said, hire a qualified professional to get a job that you're looking to get done. Done. Right? Otherwise, you're only going to end up maybe backtracking yourself. You might end up having to do more work on your own, you know, to kind of pick up the pace or pick up the slack from the other individual that you hired, you may have to end up doing it anyway. You might have wasted so much money, time and resources on, you know, someone just to go and hire a professional anyway. And if you had done it from the beginning, that would have saved you some money then. So definitely, definitely pay for your talent, pay for your talent. Also for my entrepreneurs here, another great lesson is to give proper attention to process. I think this is a huge one. Um, from day one, I think all bosses, all CEOs, all, you know, leaders, managers, um, et cetera, all leaders really should be invested in the processes throughout the business. You should know how long this is going to take. How long is it going to take to get inventory? How much inventory do you need? You know, how long will it take for shipment? When can you look at your first product line? All these different kinds of things. You want to understand the different processes of your business because you want to understand your business. It's very difficult it's very difficult to try to manage a company that you know very little about. It's going to be very difficult to do. So you want to understand all the different aspects of the business. So you want to talk to those managers. You want to talk to your employees. You want to figure out the step-by-step, -step, the day-by-day. Because then you're just paying people to do something 
to be better at something um, than yourself when you really could just be on the same page with everything. Understand your, 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 your project from the in to the out. And it's probably going to be a better investment for you in the long run. Probably going to make more sense to you in the long run when you actually can be confident in your company, 100% in every department. So definitely give proper attention to the processes and the journey that it takes to get to the end. Five would be to research your customer's needs. It's a good idea to know what your customer needs. But it's a great idea to be actually be prepared or even anticipate what they're going to need. And, you know, if you're constantly paying attention, that wouldn't be hard to do. It really wouldn't be hard to do if you're constantly making that a part of your job is to know what your customers need or want. So you really would be surprised at how many companies have lost thousands of dollars launching a product or, you know, starting a company before actually sampling an audience or a, de a demographic. You know, it, you're only you're only hurting yourself when you go that route. Take the time that is is so necessary. It's so necessary um, to actually figure out what you're gonna do before you do it. That's why you know many people aren't entrepreneurs. I mean, I'm so happy that we're seeing like more of a an increase in the numbers of entrepreneurs throughout the years, and I'm seeing it kind of becoming more of a normal thing on on you know on a grander scale. But still. I think it's still safe to say at this time that the majority of people aren't entrepreneurs. And, you know, it, it's safe to say that it's very tough to be an entrepreneur because there's a lot of work that goes into it. A lot of planning, a lot of pre-planning, a lot of, you know, budgeting and numbers and, and strategizing and just figuring out things before they actually happen. That's what's interesting about startup companies and entrepreneurs. You're trying to prevent something that hasn't even happened yet. Or you're trying to get something to happen that hasn't happened yet. Either way, you're like basically doing the impossible. So you really want to take the extra time that, it, that is needed, that's required to, to get that off the ground. You want to do the research beforehand. You need to do the research beforehand. So if you're steps ahead of yourself and steps ahead of, you know, um, just different aspects of the company when it comes to strategizing, then you already have a profitable um, audience and demographic to market to. You're only going to be helping yourself. Number six is to don't try or um, really you shouldn't try to do everything yourself. Don't drive yourself crazy trying to do everything. Truly, you're only one person with a certain particular amount of skills or, you know, a certain skill set, I should say. So don't attempt to control every little thing in the business because it's only going to drive you crazy as well as it's kind of going to seem impossible. It's understandable, though, when like you're first starting out a business. You don't have a budget or, you know, means to really ask for help. So there's always like ways to maybe volunteer work or to bring someone else into your business. But you want to truly use and work with other people in your life. Try and find ways to work with other people and really um, utilize, utilize their skills. Utilize skills that, you know, of other people that you don't carry or possess. Because that is really what's going to propel you forward. You yourself can only do so much. But a team, a group, a community, a nation can do 10 times more, right? It can do so much more. So you really want to invest in the right team, the proper team. And don't stress yourself out trying to do it all yourself. Seven would be to clearly communicate. Now, whether, you know, your, whether your employees, you know, you're, you're giving employees assignments 
or whether, you know, it's, you know, you're communicating with customers via, you know, product packaging or something, you want to be able, you want to be clearly understood. So you want to clearly communicate always, always. It's huge because being misunderstood, being um, misunderstood could truly lead to, to failure in the business miscommunications and misunderstandings. Maybe your audience won't feel connected to you. Your employees, your company may feel, you know, disconnected to the vision of everything. So you want to keep everything synchronized, essentially. Clearly communicate. Public speaking is huge. It's a huge factor of businesses and maybe even running a business or being an entrepreneur or a boss or a leader even. So you want to be able to communicate on all levels, on all levels, whether it be on a one-on-one whether it be in a group of people or whether it be thousands of people that are never going to actually see you, but they're having to read what you're saying. So you want to always be able to clearly communicate and always be able to get those messages across because it's another great way where I should say actually it's kind of a bad way, I guess. It's not a great example. But in this case, it's a good example as to how communication is so important because there have been companies as well that have lost thousands of dollars just because of a, a miscommunication. Like they're changing the pricing of a product and they didn't clearly communicate to their clients as to why. So now they have like 50% percent of the people that were purchasing this product are declining it or are no longer continuing to because they felt like the prices increased um, and they don't know why. They, it wasn't properly communicated to these people that feel like, you know, this is the target demographic. When you make a, a proper connection with your, with, your, uh, with your clients, with your audience, then they, feel, they should feel like, like a relative. <laughs> they should feel like they know and understand you. So if you go and change a price on them or you increase a price on them and it's not clearly understood why and they can't gather why, they might feel betrayed. They might feel taken advantage of. They might, they might, they don't, they might not know how to feel and they might actually stop working with you or stop looking to you as a reliable company because they now feel like they have lost um, a connection with you. This is a good example of how like communication really goes a long way. And clear communication, especially when it comes to just being an entrepreneur and just trying to have a successful business off of the ground, clear communication goes a long way. And last year, number eight would be to trust your instincts. As an entrepreneur, you're more likely, you know, to, you know, to go against the grain. That's kind of what we do naturally. We go against all odds and try to make things happen. So you really need to trust those feelings. You need to trust those gut feelings and, and trust all of those thoughts that, that you get and those, and those things that kind of spark up when, when you're talking about your passions. You have to trust that stuff. Truly follow those impulses wherever they lead you. And, you know, don't allow yourself to be talked into or talked out of something that you truly don't want to do or that you truly don't think will benefit you or your company. Trust your instincts, always. It's you, it's your vision, you know? Like I said earlier, especially for inventors and people that really, you know, are, are, you know, huge innovators, you're doing something that someone has literally never done before. So you have to remember that. You have to keep that in mind. You have to remember that it is you. It's your vision, it's your project, and you have to look at it that way. Trust your gut. Truly defer the decision and set aside um, some time to truly explore where your instincts are coming from, what's driving them. And sometimes not making a decision is better than making a decision. Sometimes it truly is better to just stay neutral, you know, analyze, observe, just be very introspective and astute and figure out 
what your next move is or what the next move should be. Sometimes not making a decision is better for you. So there you have it, my lovely, lovely entrepreneurs. Those are eight lessons that you truly, truly don't want to learn the hard way. Get into the habit of paying for your talent. Get into the habit of truly, you know, not doing things that you don't want to do. Stick to your gut, stick to your own plan and allow yourself to prosper. Allow yourself to grow, truly, because you're the only person most likely standing in between yourself and success. And speaking of success, moving on to true success, we're going to be discussing three keys to successful cooperation in the workplace. Now, that's huge, right? Cooperation, like, we can't stress enough the importance of cooperation. We see it every day. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, you're going to be seeing the, the results of, the products of collaboration and cooperation. So when truly reflect, reflecting on the various ways in which technology and progress are truly bringing people together like never before, you really start to get a better understanding of the importance of cooperation and collaboration. Now, taking from Coach Wooden's Pyramid of Success, he said it's a small world. When you stop and think of the food that we eat, the means of transportation that gets us from place to place, the clothes that we wear, almost every essential for our daily life someone else is responsible for, not ourselves. In everything around us, we need others in every way, and the surest way to have cooperation of others so that we can make the most of our own ability is to be cooperative ourselves. I love that. I truly think that it's crucial that we think like this, that everyone thinks like that. Because as soon as we start thinking that we can't do it all ourselves, and that we truly need the help of others, and we need this collective community to kind of work together and work um, amongst each other, as soon as we start to understand that and truly let that into our everyday um, thinking, then I truly think that's when things start to change, right? And... <clears throat> I think that when we forget that, things start to kind of go wrong. We, have, we all have very specific and very unique talents and very different things to offer. So, you know, we really have to remember those things, that all these little things, we're, we, we're all differentiated in all those different kinds of ways. And we have so many different things to offer because of our differences. So truly being aware of that is huge. And being aware of that is something that I think everyone should use to their advantage. So cooperation is something that everyone should be using to their advantage. Now, Coach Wooden, he defines cooperation as something one should do with all levels of your coworkers. Listen if you want to be heard, be interested in finding the best way, not in having your own way. So that's how he would define collectively what cooperation is. Now, we're gonna break down those three keys that I found in there um, just a little further. Starting with the first one here, we should do things with all levels of our coworkers. So as a leader, as a CEO, a manager, general authority figures, really, it's important that those of us um, who work in our department or underneath us understand that they work with us and not for us. It's, it's, it makes the hugest difference when you're, um, as employees, Right. It makes a huge difference to you knowing that you are a part of a, a team and every little person has their own special part, you know, their their integral parts of this team. 
And, you know, even the, the person at the head of the team is actually incorporated in the team and everyone does their part. People truly tend to perform better when they don't feel like they're being micromanaged, you know, or when they don't feel like they're being taken advantage of, right? Psychologists have actually studied concepts like choking or performing lower than your skill level dictates or, you know, than you've performed in the past when dealing with added levels of stress. So if you are truly, truly making it a habit to let your employees know and understand that you are with them 100% of the way, you are there carrying them through everything, then it truly does make that big of a difference. It, it helps with their stress. It helps with their work performance, most likely. In stressful situations, the ability of working memory to direct attention to what's relevant is compromised. Like a computer, if you're running a lot of programs and things run slower, no different than our brain, truly. When we're running off of so many different things and we're not actually focused on, on any particular thing and we're trying to, we're being pulled in so many different directions, we perform worse. That's just how it is. So truly be mindful of your employees and what it is that they do and work with them on every level. Try to be there for them on every level. So that's one key for, you know, successful cooperation. Second is to listen if you want to be heard. Going back to that concept that we we're given two ears, one mouth, right? Truly listen. Most of the time, most of us, we kind of had this, this weird bad habit. We don't actually listen to what the other person in front of us may be saying to us. What we're probably doing is thinking about what it is that we're going to say next. We're already anticipating our response without truly making sure that we comprehend the point that's being given to us. That's a problem, truly. If you're not listening to your employees' concerns, the things that they deal with on a regular basis, right, day in and day out, opposed to you, who's a little bit further from the day-to-day -day life of the, of the office, you know, then, then what's the point of even having them? In my opinion, what's the point of having a whole team of employees if you're not going to hear them out, if you're not going to ask for feedback, if you're not going to see what's going on with them on a day-to-day? -day? What's the point? You know, and if you think that you have all the answers, then why aren't you on the floor doing this yourself? That's an, I mean, I'm not sure if this sounds like rude or arrogant, but I'm I'm being genuinely honest in the sense that like if we if we want to think on a collaborative scale, if we want to think like I have this big machine and I want it to run well, then we have to understand that there are so many different things that come into play. There's so many different factors and so many different um, people that can contribute to it. It's not just us. If it was just you, then why even have a team? Why even have a company? Just have, you know, a sole proprietorship. <laughs> just do it all yourself if that's, if that's what, you know, if that's what you think is the best way to go. These are questions that I truly think that you should ask yourself. Truly, what is the point? Ask yourself, what is the point? You can't have all the answers and all of the solutions, right? If you listen, though, if you listen, take the time to listen and observe, then you may actually get closer to finding those answers and those solutions. And finally, our last key here is to be interested in finding the best way and not having your own way. This kind of goes hands in hand with, with, um, with number two. We can only reach our full potential when we have the cooperation of others. I truly believe that. And even for like overly, overly independent entrepreneurs, I think just having or just knowing um, that at least one person is on your side one person has your back, I think it really does make a big difference. And it can truly make um, a huge, a huge difference in the way that you maybe perceive yourself, your company and everything else. So if everyone shares the same goal, which ideally everyone would, right? 
maybe you own like an insurance company. So you have a sales floor and their goal is, of course, is to sell insurance. So, you know, you motivate your sales team to sell insurance packages. And it's your job to do that. It's your job to motivate them. I'm sorry, motivate them. And so you give them a script as well as, you know, some rebuttals to say, should, you know, customers try to, you know, I guess disagree. So maybe if one of your employees, right, goes off script, one of your employees pitches them in a different way that maybe you wouldn't pitch them. You, maybe it's a different way than you had perceived. But they actually end up getting that deal. They close the deal. They helped out the client. The client's extremely happy. They did it completely legally and everything by the book, except for, you know, maybe just little nuances here and there. <clears throat> Would you consider that a win or a loss? Now, if you're focused on finding the best way, meaning getting the job done successfully where everyone wins, then it shouldn't matter. It really shouldn't matter whether they followed your script or followed your rebuttal as long as they got the job done. That's an example of just, are you focusing on doing it your way or just getting it done? So truly, 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 I think that's huge for entrepreneurs and huge for just all of us working in, um, just working with other people. I think that it's huge. You really want to, <clears throat> you really want to think about what it is that you're making your priority. But this also goes, you know, a long way, a long way for leaders perspective, which is why I mentioned entrepreneurs. From a leader's perspective, this is even bigger, in my opinion. If you're encouraging your team to give you feedback and come to you with new ideas, then I believe it's something like having your eyes and your ears on the floor at all times, right? Bosses can often feel disconnected from their projects because they're not the ones dealing with everything. They're not the ones dealing with the day-to-day -day hassles. So I feel like if you actually encourage your employees to give you feedback, to, to let you know what's going on, to bring, um, you know, bring your attention to their to their problems and their issues, I truly think you're going to have employees that are going to go to bat for you, employees that are going to go above and beyond for you because they feel like their voices matter as well. So truly encourage your employees to let you know what's going on with their work and with their business and what else is happening in, 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 you know, in their world, in, in their reality that they deal with every day. So there you have it, three keys Three wonderful keys there to successful cooperation in the workplace. Moving on here to um, our next topic. Under our universe, the great American eclipse is only two weeks away. People, this year, August 21st, 2017, that's actually just um, about two weeks from now, we will be experiencing a total solar eclipse. Um, it's expected to begin in Oregon on the West Coast, and it should be ending somewhere in South Carolina, all the way on the East Coast. And the last time that an eclipse has truly touched both coasts of America was actually in 1918. That was 99 years ago. So eclipse enthusiasts, they say that this phenomenon is one of the most spectacular sights in nature. Interestingly enough, as sort of a celestial preview, the moon will pass through part of the Earth's shadow in a particular lunar eclipse today, August 7th, actually. So be sure to catch that. Sky watchers all over the United States will be able to witness at least a partial solar eclipse in two weeks when the moon covers less than 100% of the sun's disk. So wherever you'll be, it's a good idea to have a solar viewing glasses on, you know, definitely handy <laughs> so that you can see what's going on. You can also build your own pinhole camera to watch the moon's progress across the sun. There's actually an article on space.com where to see the 2017 total solar eclipse state by state. 
that actually elaborates where you can catch the best glimpse of the eclipse, as well as there's also an interactive eclipse map found on nasa.gov that you can use to find out exactly where to totality will be visible. So there you have it, guys. Another eclipse is going to um, be happening very, very shortly in about two weeks, August 21st. So if you're anywhere within those regions, between Oregon and um, I think it's South Carolina, and you want to check out that interactive map so you can see exactly where it's going to be hitting and where, where you might be, um, where it would be hitting or where you might be able to see it, you know, the best. Be sure to check that out on NASA.gov as well as space.com. Um, and there you guys have it, the great American total solar eclipse coming to you in two weeks. Moving on to world news. We're going to be discussing um, a bit of an interesting topic here. I just wanted to remind everyone, um, before we get into this, before we get into this topic, that anything that we're discussing here today um, along in, in this world news topic is not meant to offend anyone. It's meant to bring awareness and to kind of, you know, inspire more love in our society. That's definitely what I aspire to do. I aspire to inspire more love in our society, more awareness, and really help other people truly just see that their actions and, you know, their words could be, you know, creating further division, could be um, separating us more and maybe we need to really be mindful of the way that we um, put our own perspectives into play or into words, maybe. We really have to be more aware of what we do and what we say, is what I'm getting at. So although um, racism is definitely, definitely, um, it definitely still exists, right? It's clear to see that there's much, uh, much has changed. Many would say for the better. However, there's still much that needs correcting, much that needs our attention. It's clear to me that there also still is somewhat of a politicalization regarding our perceived differences. So this, this politicalization, it kind of creates this heightened awareness of cultural appropriation, racism, sexism, you know, and anything, pretty much anything that, you know, can separate us. It can divide us further. So this, though this should definitely be seen as a positive turn, making us more compassionate towards others, the story that I'm getting at here, um, it may also seem like our perceptions of cultural appropriation, you know, maybe we're taking it too far when it comes to what's actually politically correct and uh, what's not. I myself, personally, you know, I've been witness to ex many examples of someone being called out, you know, being racist or con contributing to cultural appropriation when that individual had no intention of doing so, or I didn't, you know, perceive them as having intentions to doing so. Um, but I've also, you know, with that being said, I've also, of course, of course, I've witnessed, you know, actual real racism, subtle racism, you know, all kinds and forms of um, discrimination, I should say. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't fight for what we believe in. And we shouldn't, you know, try to correct what we think is wrong. But, you know, if we classify every single, you know, non-politically correct term as racist or sexist or, you know, something negative, then are we truly helping the movement is the question. Are we truly, you know, contributing to, to, um, to the positive side of the movement or are we causing more separation? Are we dividing ourselves further? So I kind of want to bring you guys into this um, Tumblr situation here that recently happened. A, uh, a Utah mom, 
the mother, she threw her daughter a Japanese-themed party. Um, and she posted the pictures on her Tumblr account. She just discussed, you know, she explained how she decorated on a budget. She even went to a Japanese grocer to get some traditional cuisine for, the, for you know, her daughter and her kids. And then shortly afterwards, users began commenting on the images. And they were claiming that the mother was contributing to racism. One in particular, her username was Ginzers. Um, and then one Japanese user. She went by the chessier in the middle. She spoke up to defend the mother who was labeled as a racist for celebrating another culture. She said that she was just celebrating another culture. And she explained the difference between appreciating culture versus appropriating it. She began by saying culture appropriation isn't a thing and that all culture should be shared by all means. I'm going to actually read now verbatim. A vast majority of Japanese people actually enjoy other people making an effort to spread and enjoy Japanese culture and encourage it. Many make businesses deliberately taking pictures of people in kimono. A common homage or gift for foreigners from Japanese people is traditional Japanese things, such as kimonos, tea seeds, shisha dog statues, etc. On top of it, 80% of Japanese customs, traditions, and foods come from other countries. Japanese is an integration of different cultures, like America. Japan takes influence from places like Korea, China, Russia, and Europe. If Japan stuck to itself, there would be no tempera. There would be no Japanese tea, tea ceremonies, kabuku, Japanese bread, Japanese curry, J-pop, anime, cars, or modern fishing techniques. She truly finishes the statement with the only racist here is you. Now, I would disagree with one thing that she said here, and that's cultural appropriation. It definitely is a thing, definitely is real. Um, it just may not be a thing in this particular situation. But also keep in mind here, of course, that cultural appropriation is technically defined as the adoption or use of elements of one culture used by another culture, which by that definition, it doesn't necessarily mean anything bad, right? It doesn't have to be negative. But there was, um, with everything, the pileup, I guess, with the way that it's been perceived, the way that it's been used, you know, it's only more recently, really, that when we, you know, we'll become more obsessed with this political correctness that we really start to um, attach cultural appropriation with kind of a negative stigma. So one thing that's definitely interesting is when the Japanese user, um, she claimed that perhaps it was um, Jinzer who was racist. I mean, it was Jinzer's who made a snap judgment, right? She was the one that made a snap judgment about a family. She assumed they were racist for celebrating um, another race, another culture. There was nothing negative said about um, Japanese traditions or, you know, um, this, this particular, the, the kimonos or any type of culture, Japanese culture in any way. There was nothing negative said at all, um, according, you know, to, the, to this Tumblr account. So I want to understand, of course, why was it negatively received? Why was it that still it came across as, as negative and cultural appropriation and kind of um, distasteful to this person? What if the reason that we've become so sensitive to these topics is because that we're still battling with our own beliefs, our own personal belief system about racism and what it is and what it means? You know, all of us arguing about what's politically correct and what's, you know, what isn't truly actually disturbs this patriotism, nationalism belief system that thrives off of the belief that forces us to identify ourselves with these specific cultures 
religions, nationalities, rather than actually seeing everyone ourselves as human beings. First and foremost, that's how we should be perceiving this. For example, I'm first generation American um, in my family. Both my parents are from Haiti. So, you know, I was, I was also raised Catholic, you know, in schools, um, Catholic schools, going to church, of course. But now I sit here today in front of you, not claiming one religion over another. Um, but I consider myself to be a human being. That's how I look at it. I put myself as I am a human being um, before my nationality, before I'm Haitian American, before any religion, you know, before my comedic spirituality, before any of that. I'm a human. I'm, I'm a part of the human race. And so are you. I think that's the way that we need to all look at it. We need to be more mindful about those things and truly not let these people have an excuse to point at each other's cultures and kind of pick at each other for doing things that are truly genuinely good. What that mother was doing was really kind of awesome. You know, she was really truly allowing her daughter to embrace another culture to the point that she truly went out and got the cuisine. She got everything. She wanted it to be so right, so accurate for her daughter and for the culture, to the culture as well, to show her respects. Um, I think that's amazing. I think that is truly, truly amazing. I think that's what we expect of other cultures, you know? When someone else comes here from another country and they speak with an accent, we kind of feel offended that they're not going above and beyond to maybe speak the way that we would want them to speak. Now, maybe that's not the best example because maybe I'm kind of leaning on the side that, oh, we need to all sound the same. But I'm trying to give an example as far as like, we may, put, we may push and get upset when someone isn't doing something that we perceive to be right for our culture, right? So when we're talking about another culture, I don't think it's our place. I don't think it's our place to step into that position and defend that culture. What's right, what's wrong, what you should have done, what you shouldn't have done. Let someone from that culture tell you if they feel it's appropriating or not. And that's what that Japanese user did. She's like, I'm in Japan right now as we speak, and I'm not offended by this. So you, an American, definitely shouldn't be. So I love this story, I truly did, I truly do. It really brings awareness to cyber racism as well as just general cultural appropriation and racism and how it truly can be misunderstood, misperceived, and how you can be racist by pointing out someone else's racism. It's so true. And of course, you know, we really need to look deeper, look deeper into our perception of racism, look deeper into our perception of each other, of these cultures, of just everything. We need to stop with assumptions and start to actually gain understanding. You know, maybe if that user had asked questions rather than jumping to conclusions, trying to maybe ask like, oh, is there a Japanese user who could maybe fill us in on, you know, what exactly this mother did? Can we maybe understand what it is that, what stores did you go to? Maybe just ask the mother. If you were actually trying to figure out if this mother was appropriating or if this mother truly cared about, you know, maybe another culture or showing respect, then maybe you would have asked. You know, maybe we would be a little, we would show that concern, you know? So that's all that I want to say about that. I just want to say that we need to be a little more mindful. Be more mindful of each other's cultures, of each other's um, ways of life, and don't be so quick to point a finger. Truly, truly. We, none of us are perfect, and we all have so much more to learn, so we need to focus on that. We have so much more to learn than it is that we already know. So there you have it. Under world news, a Japanese Tumblr user responded so perfectly to cyber racism. 
And finally, here under health and wellness, we will be talking about liberating um, ourselves from stress. And we're going to be going over four amazing hacks uh, to do that. So we know that stress is everywhere. Stress is everywhere. Our sources of stress, they begin with daily worries. Things just like missing the bus, being late for work, making that deadline. It could be undergoing fears um, like public speaking or having to you know, go to an interview or an audition or maybe not meeting you know, expectations, your parents, your boss. And then they're undergoing like binding, sometimes even crippling fears like reliving an old experience or really a brutal one or being abandoned, failing or hurting others. And then there's like growing pace of life as well, which is a fear of anything new or of change or just not adapting. Right. So we are understanding there are many sources of stress and truly um, understanding what's behind stress is the biggest thing. And that's fear. Like we've just established fear is the biggest thing behind all of our stress, most likely. So often we kid ourselves and we forget that fear and stress. They are situations that we create ourselves. It's a mental thing. It's all in our hands. And, you know, these mental scenarios, many of them never actually play out. Right. And our interpretation distorts reality into a false belief about ourselves and others. It's all in our heads. So, you know, stress specifically targets the brain areas implicated in coordinating cognition and emotions. So I want to go over that just a little bit about how stress acts differently. Cognitive functions, they're coordinated by the prefrontal cortex. um, And that's language, memory, the ability to learn. Um, reason, plan, organize. Also adaptability. It's the calmness, problem solving, decision making, all those different aspects of the brain that are focused on that. And lastly, emotion. So these are our cognitive and emotions, the coordinating um, cognition and emotion, I should say. Emotions having to do with aggression, fear, pleasure, of course, they're all controlled by the limbic system. Now, the limbic system, it's the seat of our impulses, our fears and our angers. It's emotionally, it colors any information received and grades it as agreeable or disagreeable. Its main function is survival by any means, truly. It's suitable adaption to the social environment. So its main function is survival by suitable adaption to the social environment. Under stress, it focuses on survival, fight or flight. It's that simple. It wants to get in and wants to get out. So how does the brain actually treat information though? when it comes to this limbic system. First, it goes to the reptilian brain or to the instinctive brain. So if the body is in survival mode, like when we're hungry, for example, when we're hungry, then information actually slows down, right? Maybe even shuts down entirely. And it can even block, you know, it can even be blocked if we're we're truly that hungry. If the body's survival is not threatened, then the information will move to the secondary story into the limbic system, which is the emotional brain. Here, information is classified as agreeable or disagreeable. So if it's agreeable, then it's passed through the, to the cortex. If it's disagreeable, then failure is guaranteed, right? In the worst of cases, the limbic system just won't allow the information to be passed on to the cortex. So you'll never actually just receive it. But how does the limbic system actually ask, assess the information? How does it know what exactly is going on? A great way um, I write into and a great way to kind of explain that is to imagine an arbitrator adding up pluses and minuses. So with every positive thought, that would be a, a plus. And with every negative thought, that's kind of a minus. And so they kind of just add up each other. 
and whoever has the most wins. <laughs> and that's kind of how it decides if it's agreeable or disagreeable. It just takes the, the, the sum. It just takes the median of all the thoughts revolving around that information. So why do you think that we're told to think positively? Why do you think that a coach of a sports team is going to try to pump and motivate his team with positive affirmations like, we will win, we got this, we're the best, you know? All positive affirmations, and that's because it's agreeable information that the brain is going to want to take and receive, and it's going to go all the way up to that cortex, it's going to make it there, and the team will probably perform their best. They're probably going to give it their all because of all of that. So maybe now you have a little bit of an understanding about how stress and information is passed and moved along through the brain. I'm going to give you um, four steps on how to liberate stress and what it is that you can do. First, of course, is to observe it. Observe it. Be, be mindful of it, of course, like everything else. This can simply be viewed as meditation even. You can do it every, every night, every you know, few hours, whatever. Just find a quiet and peaceful place where you can be by yourself, just you and your thoughts, and truly just figure out what's going on. Observe any current stress that you're feeling. Figure out what it is that you're feeling in that moment. Identify the emotions that, you're, that are taking place. And, you know, identify the physical symptoms that, that you feel. Breathing, clammy hands, you know, any kind of physical sensations. And maybe you want to note those stress levels from 1 to 10, so you can keep track and understand like, oh, okay, I'm having better days now. I'm having not so good days now. And you can understand your progress when it comes to stress on a more, I guess, um, on a more consistent level. So observation is number one, definitely observe it. Number two is to feel it, recognize it and expressing, expressing it truly like I feel stressed because. Inhale slowly through your nose and exhale through your mouth and truly, truly let that, fe that feeling resonate allow yourself to feel the stress how does it feel what emotions arise as 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 you feel this tension and repeat those actions you know just, just keep going through that allow yourself to truly feel those emotions and you know we often try to avoid avoid those emotions and we try we think that you know maybe that they're bad to feel it's it's bad to feel so many different things but truly you know <clears throat> we think that we will become those emotions. But if we allow ourselves to feel those emotions and allow ourselves to actually understand them, then we have a better chance of preventing them. We have a better chance of understanding them, of course, and maybe even controlling them. So don't think that way. You're not going to get sucked into it because you're trying to focus on getting out of it. Three is accept it. Accept, accept, accept it. Welcome your stress without judgment and with benevolence. It's a part of you. It's who you are. And, you know, we're not going to ever be, we're never going to be able to 100% get rid of our stress. So truly accept it. What feelings are you feeling right now? Take in that deep inhale with the nose and exhale with the mouth and allow yourself to be relaxed. Ask yourself those questions. What physical changes do you observe? What's changing? What's different? Explore the new sensations. Um, welcome it, accept it, amplify it while breathing naturally. You know, like just really let it spread throughout your body and truly allow yourself to be. Just let yourself be. And lastly would be to integrate it. So be ready to listen to yourself and all the possible changes that may occur with those steps and truly allow all of the information that you observed, that you felt, that you accepted, allow it to be a part of your life and your everyday experience. And, you know, do you feel those changes on a day-to-day -day basis? Do you feel different than you did when you first started doing it, you know? 
always be observing it, you know, see how it affected you. How has it impacted your life? You know, when we truly take the time to welcome those things that happen and we let them inside and we acknowledge them, then we digest it and we understand it. We can work with it. We can move from it. We give ourselves, we give ourselves permission to live in the present and to just be. So there you guys have it. There are four life hacks on how you can liberate yourself from stress. Um, thank you guys so, so, so much for joining us today. You can check us out, Believed.love, youtube.com forward slash Believe Loves You. For our Apple users, Believe iTunes.com and Android, Believe Android.com. I am Vanessa, and I look forward to seeing you guys back again.